So Ephesians 3, 14 through verse 21, we're in the New King James, so please read with me. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray over our, our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that's filled with the nutrients that we need. We open our heart and receive it by faith, and we will be nourished by it. Again, Holy Spirit, we depend on your ministry, that you're anointing the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening and opening them by the gift of your grace and causing them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. So, Father, these are your children, and you're going to speak to them, and they're going to walk away with something out of this that they need specifically from you, and we thank you for this miracle because you're the only one that can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. High five someone on the way down. So we'll go back up to verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14 says, For this reason, say for this reason. I bow my knees to the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see for this reason, therefore, for, that's not the start of the thought. He's, he was talking about something. So Paul says, for this reason, I'm going to get on my knees and start praying. Well, the first reason is he said that we have boldness, boldness. That, the Greek word means freedom to speak, permission to speak with a dignitary. Well, we, so what dignitary do we have freedom to speak because of what Jesus did? God the Father, the God who created the universe, is the God that we have access, we have permission to go in his presence and, and speak with him. Now, you don't get that with any ruler on earth. I can't just walk over to England to, to King Charles and walk in and say, uh, what's up, Chuck? No, that's not sound good. What's going on, Chuck? I get kicked out. The guys with the tall hats probably would do harm to me. <laughs> I don't have permission to come in and start talking to that ruler. But uh, we do have access through Jesus. And it says we have access. And that means, that means access into the presence of a ruler in, that, in Paul's day. And so we have access to go to God. And since, since we have access and we have permission to speak, then why aren't we? Why aren't we doing it? All the time. Why are we not? Why are we not just staying in there, and having that dialogue throughout the day? So many people are just visiting uh, that throne room, but we we should remain in that environment of communication with God throughout the day. And so, next of all, he said, because there's tribulations. Raise your hand if you realize there's maybe some troubles around in the earth. <laughs> not next to you, but there's some trouble. <laughs> There's some troubles in the earth around you, and, and there, there's pressures in life. Well, guess what? You have access to one who has wisdom, power, strength, and also he loves you. And he's able to help you with your problem, but you've got to give it to him. Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father. Bow my knees. And now, now, I believe he literally bowed his knee. And where was he when he wrote this? He was in prison, and, and what, who was he chained to? He was chained to guards at the time, so for him to get on his knees, he didn't, he, he didn't have any shyness, he wasn't embarrassed, but he, he got down on his knees in, in the place where he was chained, and the soldiers w listened to him pray. It was bad enough that he preached at them all day, and now they, they listened to hear him pray. How moving must that have been for him to do that, and to reveal the humility of that, and so he bowed his knees, and that's not just a, a, a physical place, because sometimes we're not in a place to bow our knees, and we need to pray. But in our heart, we come with humility. Tell someone you might need some humility. 
Now tell someone else, you really need humility. And for, some, and for us, I think it would benefit us if we do, would do more praying on our knees. Well, that's so Baptist, or that's so Presbyterian. Oh, that's so religious. No, it's so scriptural. To bow our knees before God. Last time I checked, it's, it's hard to fall far on your knees. And so this, this must have been a huge impression on the soldiers. Look at verse 15. From whom, that's God the Father, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The family of God is divided right now. Some are in heaven, some's gone. Raise your hand if you know some that have gone on in Christ. So some, some of the family's in heaven, but, but, but a good amount of us are still here on the earth. Why are we on the earth? Why didn't we get a private rapture when we got saved? Because God left you on assignment. So you're the body of Christ here on the earth on assignment to do the will of God, and, and you're going to finish your race. If Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to finish your race with joy. I'm speaking that over. You're going to finish your race. You're going to get, well done, thou good and faithful servant, not, well, you're done. <laughs> or you're well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. But, but there will always be a separation. Some in heaven, some on earth. Well, how is he going to get the whole family together at one time for a family reunion? It's called the rapture of the church. To where those on earth will be joined with those in heaven and will stand before the Lord. And the church, and Jesus was single on earth, but he's been engaged for 2,000 years. Tell someone there's hope for you. <laughs> if you've been waiting, there's hope for you. And there will be a marriage, and, a, and, a, and I'm looking forward to the supper. There'll be manna pizza. And all the other stuff. Look at verse 16. And Paul's going to ask the Lord for something. And, and, and you well, look at what Paul prayed for. Um, oftentimes our prayers are not like what Paul prayed. Ours is praying either we, either we need a problem person or a problem situation prayed out of our life. We're trying to get God to get those negative things out of our life. If our life would be just wonderful if that person wasn't in it, that situation wasn't in it, well, guys, you're never going to get that because problem, you're always going to be around people. Oh, by the way, you're the common denominator. Anyway. <laughs> and the problems, it, yeah, you get rid of that one. Have you noticed there's a new one wanting to come through? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, you messed it up. Here comes another one. It's like waves of the ocean. Welcome to life. Or we're praying for things. But, but Paul prayed for riches. Say moolah, money. Well, he didn't pray for money right off the bat. Hey, moolah's coming. Money's coming. Tell someone, money cometh. Money cometh. But before he gives you money, he wants to deposit something on the inside of you. Because God always starts from the inside out. We're wanting to start from the outside, maybe get on the inside. But no, he starts from the inside out, always does. So before he makes a, a, a rich deposit on the, in your bank account, he makes a rich deposit in your inner man. He's already deposited that in your spirit. But I want you to see something. Your inner man, you have an inner man and an outer man. Your outer man's easier your body. Your inner man's your spirit that has a soul. And those two go together. They're, they're, they're so linked, it's impossible to divide them except... The only thing that can, can divide spirit and soul is the word of God. And when you got born again, you had one heart away from God. Your spirit and soul was away from God. It was, it was not towards God. It was alienated from God. At the new birth, a division came in, and the word of God as a sword split your spirit and your soul, separated them, and God did a, a work in your spirit. He regened you. Regeneration, regeneration, baby got new genes, and you were created, and he sealed 
that spirit part of you that no evil, no sin, no contamination. And, and at the core, you, who you are is who you are in your spirit because you're a spirit being. So I'm really looking at our body. No, you're not a body and you're not a soul. Soul, mind, will, and emotions. You're not a mind. Just a mind. I'm a mind walking around. No, you have a mind. Well, some of you have a mind. <laughs> you have emotions and, and you have a will. But who you are is a spirit being. So either you're born again and you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as your identity, or you are a sinner, you're unrighteous, you're not born again, you're dead, cut off from the life of God. And so at salvation, there's a division between, in your inner man, there's a spiritual side of your heart and a soulish part of your heart. And the heart is your inner man. And God divided. So I want to say something. At salvation, God gave you a divided heart. Remember, your spirit and soul was totally away from God. But the salvation came in when you were, when you were recreated. Your spirit is towards God 100%. Filled with the life of God, the love of God, the desire for God, the passion for God. That is in your spirit. But your soul it was, at salvation was still away from God. You had a divided heart. So what's the goal of the Christian life? To once again be one, one heart, but all towards God. And so well, how do you know what scriptures are talking about your spiritual side of your heart or your soulish part of your heart? Context. And we're going to see this in this verse. We're going to see that clearly we're going to see he's not talking about our spirit, man. He's going to be talking about our soul. Tell someone your soul may need some work. Your spirit does it. You're ready. You're ready for heaven right now. Don't go. <laughs> Stick around. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. What part? Well, he's already strengthened your spirit. Your spirit is wall-to-wall power. <laughs> you got the power of God. That's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in your spirit. But have you gotten any working in your soul yet? So God wants to make a deposit from the spirit into your soul, into your, in your emotional realm, in your mental realm, in your will. Because you can't live the Christian life just by your own willpower. But the spirit wants to empower your, and strengthen your will that you can make decisions and carry them out. Because if you just love by willpower... You know what? You'll, your willpower gives out. You ever started on a fast? And it really seems like a good idea right after Thanksgiving meal? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on a, a year. I'm going on a 40-day fast. That's what I'm going to do. The next morning, the pie and, the, and everything. Oh, maybe that was a dumb idea. Maybe I'll start after Christmas. That's what I'll do. I'll start after Christmas. He wants to strengthen you with might through his spirit in the inner man. So, so it's, he'll, he'll strengthen you through your spirit. The Holy Spirit's connected to your spirit. Through your spirit into your soul. And so when Paul talks about riches, we think money. Hey. Well, Paul wants to talk about the riches of his power. You know, a lot of people, they're poor in their bank account. But what they're poor in is they're poor in power on the inside of themselves. There's a lot of Christians that have a lot of money in the bank, but they're, they're, uh, they're power poppers. Not power poppers, power pulpers. They're, they're poor in the power of God operating in their soul. And so he wants to make a deposit of power in, on the inside of you because God's very rich in power. He likes to make power deposits in us by his spirit through our inner man. So, so God, God starts in your inner man and works outward. Victory is not found in me doing for Jesus. Victory is found by being strengthened by Jesus to do through Jesus. Let me say that again. Victory is not found in me doing for Jesus, but being strengthened by Jesus and doing through Jesus. I can do... Yeah, don't leave Christ out, will you? Through his spirit in, 
in the inner man. So, so we cooperate. Whatever God does in our heart, we cooperate by faith. It's not like we're sitting there, okay, got that. We got to, there's a, there's a faith part of us, and, and there's two main resources that has God's power within it. His word and his spirit. Say his word, word. His, spirit. his spirit. The two great resources of the Christian life to live the Christian life. The word of God's filled with power. Look at Luke 1, 37 in the Amplified. Can you pop up the Amplified Classic? Because just in your King James or New King, it says this, for nothing shall be impossible with God. Horrible translation. This Amplified brings it out. It says, for with God, nothing will ever be impossible. No word from God shall be without power. That's what the Greek says. No rhema, no communicated quickened word to you is without power to fulfill it. But if we're not in the word and we're not opening ourselves to the word to hear a rhema from the Logos, because Jesus is the Logos and the Logos wants to speak to you and that's rhema to you, it's filled with power. But it's going to be on the inside and it will, it will empower us. And the next, the spirit wants to empower you by prayer. Has it come to that? It starts with that. And, and in the New Covenant, the prayer, what prayer type in the New Covenant you can't find in the Old Covenant? Praying in the Spirit. So yes, we're to pray in English, we're to pray in whatever natural language you have, but a special emphasis on praying in the Spirit in this New Covenant of grace. Because it's grace prayer, it's empowered prayer. And, and when you do that, he, he fills you with strength. Look at Jude 1, look at verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves, building up yourselves on your most holy what? Faith. See, faith, faith, faith has to be used with the word. You've got to believe the word spoken to you. When you believe that, power is released. Just hearing doesn't release the power of the word. It's believing the word that releases the power in you. And then praying in tongues, you could do that by faith. Have you ever had a need and said, Lord, I need help praying about this situation? And by faith, you believe when you start praying in tongues, he's going to lead you to pray about that thing. And, and not only do you pray perfectly for that thing, he, by the way, I'm going to make a deposit of power on the inside of you Amen. to carry it out. So, so the word, say the word, the, word. the spirit. The spirit. <laughs> Look at verse 17. Because this power and strength is going to accomplish everything listed at the, till the end of this prayer. Verse 17 through verse 19. It'll take power to do all of this. Verse 17. Why, why do I need a deposit of power? Just to enjoy the feeling of power? No, no, no. Let me say this. Say, say God's power, God's power. Always, 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 always has a purpose. It has a purpose. And what's the purpose of being strengthened on the inside? Verse 17. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Being rooted and grounded in love. Well, pastor, I thought he already dwelled in my heart. Yes, he does. But no, he doesn't. <laughs> See, if you don't understand the division that was made between spirit and soul, that your heart has a spiritual side to it and a soulish part to it. And you say, well, how do I know if it's talking about my spirit or my soul part of the heart? Context. So Paul says he prayed that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Guess what? When you got born again, raise your hand if that's you. He came to live on the inside of your spirit. Paul doesn't need to pray for the spirit to dwell in your spirit. You don't need to pray for the Holy Spirit to dwell in your spirit. He's in there. He's already put in the moving papers. Residence is there. But, but where else? He wants to, he wants to expand. He, he needs a larger place to inhabit. You ever been in a home and, it's too, and you have an addition so you can spread out? Well, he needs an addition for him to dwell in, and that's your soul part of your heart. And Paul's saying that he prays that Christ would be able to dwell in their heart, their soul part of their heart through faith. 
Look at the word dwell. Love, this Greek word, has two meanings to it. First of all, it means to dwell permanently, not to visit. It's permanent. Next of all, it has the idea of settling down comfortably. Don't you like after you've been at work, you're able to come home and sit in that chair? With the one you love, and, and it's just comfortable, you know. You, you dwell on the sofa between the two lampstands, and you're just, con- I just, you just, that's the word, what this word means. It means to settle down comfortably. Christ wants to settle down comfortably within your soul. Jesus, the Savior, already lives in your spirit. That's the result of justification. The new birth. Jesus the Lord. Jesus the Lord wants to live comfortably in your soul. This results in sanctification. You, you will allow Jesus to be progressively more the Lord of every area of your life when you understand how much he loves you. Why do we not let him have control in certain areas of our life? Because we, we feel like we, we, we can do a better job and we'll take care of me. I can take care of me. I want to make sure me's taken care of. Well, God loves you more than you love you. He died for you. And so, so he wants, the more you know he loves you, the more you can give over to him. You're not going to give your purse and wallet over to some stranger and says, I'll hold that for you. But, the, but, but with my wife, I can, I, well, depend. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I full, I trust her with my wallet. There it is. There's the Can I have that back after church? No. You can trust when someone loves you, you can trust them more and more and more. It's progressive understanding how much he loves you. It's progression. And the more you can trust him because he has nothing but the best for you. He's not here to make your life miserable. But to, but to bring fulfillment. I have a question. This concept of visiting versus permanently there. Is Jesus just visiting your soul from time to time? Or is he dwelling in your soul? Mind, will, emotions. Is he filling, is he constantly on your mind? Or does he visit on Sundays? Is is he constantly within your will, your decision making? Is he a part of of every decision you're making? Or is he visiting your decisions whenever it's convenient? Is Is he dwelling within your emotions? And you live in peace. You live in peace. Or does he just visit you from time to time when you're in crisis mode and you call out for him? Is he visiting? He wants to dwell comfortably in your heart. We want Christ to inhabit not only our spirit, but settle down comfortably in our soul. He wants to fill your thinking, your emotions, your will, your decisions. And when this happens, Christ is the most comfortable in you. We tend to crowd out Jesus and leave a small cot in the corner for when he visits. Our soul, a soul that trusts in Jesus is one he's comfortable in. My question, have you been trusting Jesus in your situation? Good. He's comfortable. If you're doubting, worried, fearful, filled with anxiety, He's not comfortable in that. He'll get involved in that with you. You don't have to be perfect. He'll get in your mess. But you know how he can really be comfortable? Oh, she trusts me. Okay, now I, now I have full control. Because if you're in a place where you don't have full control or access to it, like if you live somewhere but you couldn't use the kitchen, no comfort. No comfort foods. You can't use the couch. You had to stand the whole time, uncomfortable. But the more you give him control, he says, now I can operate. I'm comfortable with that. Trusting in God's love for you will cause Christ to dwell comfortably in your soul. 
If you're filled with guilt, condemnation, and fear, Christ cannot dwell comfortably within that soul. That you being rooted and grounded in love, not knowledge. You know, when I was a young buck in the Lord, I, I, I had a, I, I grew up where I, when I was about five or six, my mother died and I was put up for foster care and I went from home to home to home and lost several mothers, were killed in accidents and stuff before I got adopted when I was eight. But I, I had this rejection mentality in, in my emotions and, and so my relationship with God when I met him was a, was a mental one, intellectual one. And my life was filled with, with commentaries and dictionaries and, and everything else. And then I met Joanne, who has a black belt in relationships. <laughs> she has thrown me several times. But she always kisses me when she has me down. <laughs> you know, when someone's trying to kiss you, like, you really want it, but you're like, And she loves me to wholeness. Being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is agricultural. Grounded, it speaks of an edifice, a foundation that's built. That's architectural. One, the architectural, being rooted, speaks of the word being planted in you. The architectural is done by the Spirit of God where he builds you up when you pray. And so let's look at the word rooted, rooted in his love. A root comes from a planted seed, and the seed is the word of God. Say, the seed, the seed is, the word of God. is the word of God. You need to see in the word where he loves you. And then you have something to go with there. It'll take root in you, and... And when it takes root, it will produce what? Be rooted in God's love will produce a bumper crop of the fruit of love for God and for other people. If you're having trouble loving other people, you're not rooted in God's love for you. You can't give what you don't have. See, I didn't, I didn't have that knowledge. I wasn't receiving God's love. So it was very difficult for me to love. I was always cut off from other people. I loved crowds that hated individuals coming up and talking to me afterwards. Very insecure. But God's love fulfilled me and showed me my identity in him. So, so you need to be rooted in the word about God's love for you. And we're going we're gonna to cover that. Very, very special. We're going to cover that here in a second. But grounded, that means a foundation. Do you know the bigger the building, what do you need? The deeper the foundation. A lot of you are like, oh, well, that makes sense why it's taking so long for the ministry. Because it's a big building. You're not, you're not building a shack. You're, you're building a skyscraper. Some of you are waiting for so long for a marriage. It's a skyscraper marriage. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. Tell someone, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. So it's talking about the foundation. You have to have a foundation in your life of the love of God. Or whatever's built on it will crumble under pressure. Because when everything hits you, you have to be really grounded in how God feels about you. Because the worst barometer about how God feels about you at any moment is not your feelings and it's not your circumstances. And we're going to see what's the only true barometer we're about to get to it. The only safe way to experience the love of God in your life is going to be found in the Word, but I'm going to show you where in the Word. So don't leave. Jude one twenty, building up yourselves, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Jude twenty twenty one. God's love is unconditional. Let me say that on God's side, His love is unconditional because He can't help Himself because He's love. He loves you because He's God. 
because he is love. He can't help loving or he would stop being God. But it is conditional for you to experience it. Just because God's given it you doesn't mean you, you, have to, you have to appropriate it, and we do it by faith. And you've got to believe that love for, and start speaking that. Faith is released by words. Faith is voice activated. You need to say, God loves me. Say, God loves me. God loves me. I'm, his I'm his child. If there was no, else on, no one else on the planet, He came and died for me. You got to put the magnifying glass over your heart. He loves me. I'm his child that he loves. See, it's easy to say everybody. Well, surely he did it because he had billions on the line. No. In a God way that I can't explain, on the cross, it was very individual. It was a transaction with you and him on that cross, taking your sins. Bearing your curse and taking your punishment. And he had you on his mind. You on his mind. In a God way, I can't explain it. Verse 18. May, may be able. Able means to have full strength to grasp something, to comprehend, grasp with all the saints. What is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height of God's love? You need strength, the power of God working in you, to be able to grasp the dimensions of God's love for you. You can't do it in your own strength, your own mental ability, your own gymnastics, your own logic. It takes the power of God for you to comprehend the uncomprehensible. that you may be able to comprehend and grasp with some of the saints, the ones you like. No, all the saints. See, the love of God is not selfish. It's for all. And so for all the saints. So when you start, when you, oftentimes we just pray for me, 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 me. Why don't you pray as you're a part of the church? Us. May be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, the dimensions of God's love? Look at the word width. That means the, how wide it is. How wide is God's love? It's wide enough that it takes in all people everywhere. I don't care where you came, what class you come from, male or female. I don't care what, what race, what ethnicity, what country, what nature, rich or poor. When he opened his arms to be nailed, his love took in everyone. And the length of his love. Do you know God didn't start loving you when you were born? How cute you are. No, he loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3, can you pop that up? There was never a time in eternity where you were not the object of his love. I'm not saying you existed forever, but in the mind of God, outside of time, he knew you and you were his love object from eternity past and you will be to eternity future. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, when you came on the earth, I drew you. The depth of God's love. The love of God goes down to the Mariana Trench of your life. In the ocean, the lowest part on the earth is in the ocean called the Mariana Trench, where there's no light at all, complete darkness. And the love of God in each one of us in our past have a Mariana Trench where it's dark, that no one else knows about, the things that happened to us and the things that we have done, the depths that we went to in depravity that we're so ashamed of, God knows because he visited it with his love. And he took that shame on him on the cross. He visited the Mariana Trench of your life. His love went that deep. 
But it went much deeper than that. It went to hell. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, first went in and suffered in hell in your place. And then was quickened and brought out to Abraham's bosom and then and to and preached to the angels. And but he started, go, he went where you were supposed to go. How deep is the love of God? So deep that you'll never experience hell because he experienced it for you. But praise God for the height of God's love. How high does God love? God's love extends to the throne of God. And that's where he takes you once you've accepted him as Lord and Savior and seats you at the right hand of the Father. His love brings you into the very presence of God. The four dimensions of width, length, depth, height is the dimensions of the cross of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to bring out how you can experience God's love anytime you need to, anytime you want to, because teaching on love is very difficult. You have to experience God's love. It's easy to say, well, God loves you, and you all bobblehead it mentally. But it's a spiritual revelation in your spirit and in your soul, the basement love of your soul, that he loves you. And it's something to be experienced. But I'm going to tell you, you can experience God's love anytime you want to. But let me tell you, you will not experience God's love if you look for it in the wrong places. All right, here I go. Looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Joyce, where's Joyce? Can I make the worship team? She's like, man, I tried under Jeremy for years. I can't seem to get on it. We look for it in our emotions. We check our emotional realm. God's love. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. We go to our emotion. We go to our circumstances. Well, those are up and down, bad, good. Well, he loves me today, he doesn't love me today. Oh, well, I, it's in church. Well, we meet once a week. I guess no luck after that. No, no. You can experience God's love anytime. Experience it anytime you want. But you've got to do it God's approved way. And it's through his word. But what area of his word? The only way you can experience the love of God anytime you want is by meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8. Let's, let's back this up with scripture. Romans 5.8. How are you going to experience the love of God today? Anytime you need to or want to. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates, say demonstrates, demonstrates, his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Look at the word demonstrates. It's a present tense verb. It means he's demonstrating, still demonstrating his love to you in what he did at the cross. And if you'll meditate what he did at the cross, and we'll get to what happened at the cross here in a second, but if you'll meditate on that, you'll tap into an experience of God's love that will fill your soul. John, John 1 uh, John 3.16 1 John 3, 16. By this we know. The Greek word gnosko, which means to know by experience. So I'm experiencing God's love. By this we experience God's love because he laid down his life for us. That we ought to lay down our lives for others. It didn't say lay your life out and then he'll love you. No, he loves you so you could love someone else. Look at 1 John 4, 9 and 10. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. And sent his son to be a propitiation, a punishment for our sins on the cross. John 3.16, the first verse you ever learned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him and what he did at the cross might have everlasting life. Second Corinthians, look at John 15, 13. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus' sufferings began in the garden. 
where the Father asked him to take on the sins of humanity and to become sin and be cut off from him. A fellowship that he's had from eternity. And he struggled. He didn't struggle knowing he was going to get whipped. I didn't struggle knowing that nails would pierce through his flesh. It was knowing he would be separated from his father. And he did it for you. He made that decision in the Garden of Gethsemane with you in mind. They, they tried him. They beat him with their fists, slapped him, spit on him for you. They pulled out the, the hair of his beard for you. And then through trial, he was tri- tried to death, but before they brought him to the cross, they flogged him with a cat of nine tails. And it was early in the morning. How do we know it was cold that morning? Why? Because Peter was warming his hands over a fire of coals just the hour before. Have you ever had something hit your skin when it's cold? How much more sensitive your skin is? Well, Jesus was flogged early in the morning when it was chilly. And I guarantee you that day, Satan had the two strongest, most ablest, floggers in, the, in the, the Roman Empire to be able to do the job. They took turns one after another. And they didn't give you 39 stripes. That's the Jewish law. He was flogged under Roman law where they totally take your back off. And either they kill you or they got tired. And then he had to carry his own crossbeam on his sh- those whipped shoulders and carry them to Golgotha and kept falling with his hands tied on his face. He did it for you. And then they put his hands out and they put spikes and nailed them through his wrists where the most most, uh, painful nerve endings are in your body. And nailed them through the, into the wood. And in through the ankles. He did it for you. And that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the sins of humanity started coming upon him. One after another, after another, after another. But it was your sins. The things you feel so shameful about, so, so dark that no one knows. He bore them for you. And if you'll meditate on that, The love of God will be demonstrated, experienced in your soul. And you can go there anytime you want in a time of worship and private devotion. Verse 19. To know the love of Christ. Know means gnosko, to know by experience the love of Christ. I woke up some of the people that were sleeping. (laughs) That you would know the dimensions as seen in the cross that you may know, experience the love of Christ. Which passes mere knowledge. The word knowledge is gnosis. It just means ordinary knowledge that you have. But he says you can experience the love of Christ that bypasses your brain. And you're like, I can't explain it. There's no reason for it. I can't logic this thing out. I'm experiencing the love of God that goes way beyond my natural capacity, my brain, to figure this out. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Ask someone, are you full of it? (laughs) You're full of something. You're full of something. Your own ideas, worry, cares, or you can be filled with the love of God. When you're filled with something, there's no other space for anything else. Worry, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness. There's no room for anything else. But be filled with the love of God. It comes through the word, it comes through the cross, and it comes through believing and making it personal. 
When you're full, there's no room for anything else. When you're, when you're filled with God's love, no substitute has any room in your heart. Addictions that take the place of the heart can't be there when love's there. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able, but, he must, but you must be able to receive it. And your capacity to receive from God is based on your revelation of his love for you. How much your heart's been enlarged by the love of God is to the degree you can receive from God. Because faith works by how much God loves you. When you have a revelation of love working in your life, it'll cause your heart to be able to receive in greater dimensions. The level of receiving the love of God for us is the level God can exceedingly abundantly above do what we ask or think. If we don't understand, believe, or accept God's love, it stops the flow of God's power, revelation, and grace in your life. A heart condemned and guilty cannot receive from God. I want you to see something here with this verse. This verse shows us that God's able. Say God's able. God's able able to do what we ask. Second, he's able to do all that we ask. Third, he's able to do what we think. Fourth, he's able to do all that we think. Fifth, he's able to do above all we ask or think. Sixth, he's able to do abundantly above all we can ask or think. And seventh, he is able to do exceeding, abundant, above all we can ask or think. And this God loves you. But are you receiving his love? Are you trying to establish that love based on performance? Because that's what you, you learned growing up. I had to earn that love. I had to perform for that love. No, he loved you before you were ever around to perform. He loves you as much right now than if you'll ever do anything for him the rest of your life. He loves you no more, no less. He wants you to experience this, but it's through the cross. But notice it says what you ask or think. God's power, say God's power. Always, always, always always is for a purpose. God's love for you is to flow to you, but there's a purpose. He wants it to flow out through you to others. Your asking should be formed by love. Your prayers should be formed by the love of God. Because God wants to do something through your life that touches other people. Too often our prayers are selfish. It's not rooted in the love of God. It's rooted in self-love. 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Whatever we ask for based in the love of God, it's going to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to bring glory to God. Is your prayers... For the glory of God or for your comfort? Has your prayers lately been for so you to feel comfortable because the problems are gone? That person's, that relationship situation, there's just peace there because you don't like having it where you're not comfortable. Or is your prayers formed in the love of God that you've received? Bow your heads. The revelation you have of God's love for you is very small. You have a thimble full, and there's an ocean awaiting for you. You say, Pastor, I, I realize today that I haven't ha- let him have access in my soul. I haven't, I'm not allowing him to love me. I'm not allowing him to fill and receive his love for me. And I've been trying to earn it or work for it. And I realize I can't do that. He loved me before I was ever around. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open myself up. And I'm going to meditate on the cross this week. And allow my soul to be filled with his love.
And the more I know he loves me, the more I can trust him as Lord over more and more areas of my life. I've been trying to yield this pastor, this area, but I can't seem to do it. Yeah, because you're, you're trying to do it. It's not the power of love doing it. You say, Pastor, I'm open to have a greater revelation of the love of God in my life. Raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. Father, as we meditate on the cross, you're demonstrating your love, and we're experiencing it, and it's filling us up. And the more we receive your love, it grows our capacity to receive from you. It grows our capacity to trust you in every area of life because you have nothing but the best and the highest for us. Because if you did that for us, how much is your heart towards blessing us? We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know that God loves you? Man, that is weak. How many know God loves you? How many know it's easy to say that right now, right here? What about when you get out there and the rubber meets the road? Do you still know God loves you? Do you know you still can experience God? And here's the key. When you live in response to God's goodness, more than you react to your problems, you become more thankful. And when you, come, when you become more thankful then, you can experience God's love in your life. So stop just reacting and start responding to God's goodness by praising Him and thanking Him. All In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I never got to meet that child. I know I will someday in heaven. And I still mourn over that child. I love that child so much. And I felt like God was showing me. He is mourning over those lost sheep. He is celebrating the 99 sheep that in all of his believers, all of his children. But he has called each and every single one of us to come to him. And he has given us the choice. And so I feel like God has showed me and he wants all of you to know that he has called each and every single one of us to be his disciples. And so he needs you. He needs you to commit and be his, his hands and feet. Go out and be those vessels. So whether it's joining up with Jackie and the evangelism team, going into the prisons or going into the senior community living or whatever it is, God has a calling in each one of our lives. But all of us have been called to be his disciples and he is looking for that lost sheep. And he wants you to find that lost sheep so he doesn't have to mourn over them. And he'll never get to be with them. <laughs>